I want you to think about something. When you talk to those that might not love Jesus, but they want to celebrate the year of the Ram. And I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to go back to Genesis, to the story of Abraham and Isaac. Why? Because I believe for the next year, however long it is in the Chinese calendar, I know it's not 365 days, we have an amazing opportunity that's very natural to share the goodness of God with those that don't yet know him. Why? Because if you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, are you ready for this? Abraham was invited to sacrifice to the Lord as an offering to God, fragrant and sweet, that which was of most value to him, his son, Isaac, the son he had waited for so long for. Abraham was an old man. He didn't know what God would do, but God said, offer Isaac to me. And Abraham, remembering the promise of God all along, goes up the mountain prepares the sacrifice, prepares his son to be given over to the Lord. And at the last minute, God stops him and said, wait, I've seen your heart. I've seen your dedication. I've seen your faith. And it is credited, in the Hebrews we're told, it was credited to him as righteousness. And amazingly, what was found in the thicket to be the substitute sacrifice for the people of God, a ram. Now you fast forward a few thousand years and what do we learn about Jesus Christ? One, Jesus referred to himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Two, he equates himself with a Passover lamb whose blood was spilled so that we might know perfect relationship with God our Father who is in heaven through the blood of Jesus, the great atonement, the great sacrificial lamb whose blood was spilled for us. You see, the year of the lamb, the year of the sheep, the year of the ram, it is a perfect invitation into the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because time and again in the scriptures, the lamb, the sheep, or the ram are used to paint us a picture of what God has done for us through the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a great way to say happy Chinese New Year to our friends? Point them to the word of God and say, he celebrated Chinese New Year before you even knew what it was. With that, let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning. Lord, I am so grateful to be with my church family today. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to worship you, my King. And I'm so thankful for your word and how they are full of life as we look at them. I thank you for the ways I've been able to see you at work in this past week as I traveled. And I thank you for the ways you're at work in our own people's lives. Would you continue that, we pray. Amen. Now, real quickly, one more housekeeping thing to go over before we continue. If you are of the female uh, gender, on May 23rd, that's Monday, about nine days from now, you are February, not May. May is a long time away. Thank you. We're in February, right? Yeah, because yesterday was Valentine's Day. Okay. Monday, February 23rd, if you are a female, you are invited to go for a short, easy hike. You will start at a place in Saikung called 
Pak Shawan Pier. So if you're coming on the wonderfully fun green minibus from Choi Hung, you'll go through town, you'll see a place called Hebe Haven. Get off there, walk to the end of the pier. And you'll see Melissa Rose, my beautiful wife, and some others. We can give you more directions later on. But that is going to happen at noon. And you're going to walk into town, and you're going to earn yourself some good food when you get there. Bring your kids of either gender, I believe. Maybe. She's not in here that I see. Anyway, we'll figure it out later. May, February 23rd, hike for ladies. Men, we're not invited. Would you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1? I, I can't tell you how excited I am for us to look at this passage because it is urgent the time we live in. And so I want you to pray that God would open our hearts to his words, not mine, but as we look in. Starting with verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Lord, open our hearts to your word today, we pray. Amen. In this journey of life, we humans have idolized all sorts of things and all sorts of people. And we love the concept of celebrity and everything that goes with that. Famous people are just like a drug to us. The chance to see a famous person is, wow, we pay oodles and oodles of money to go hear this person or do this thing. And that can be all fine and good. But what happens when we realize that these famous people are just as broken and just as searching as we are? Because you see, we can put all of our trust in the the better half and how they live. And yet, how they're living is wondering, how can I live with meaning? This past week, I read an interview uh, with this guy. Uh, Some of you may recognize him. If, if you are from my generation, you know him as the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He was also partner with a man named DJ Jazzy Jeff and wrote one of the greatest songs of all time called Summertime. That was very important for my junior high years. He has been in movies such as Ali, uh, Independence Day. He is famous and successful in music, in acting, In TV, he's got it all and he's got more money than he knows what to do with. But listen to his take on what he's learned over the years. He said, I always thought there was some place that I was going, that there was some success or some achievement or some box office number that was going to fill the hole. And what I realize is that life is a hole. It's a process of continually trying to find and reinvent myself. I'm the type of person who is always going to be somewhat dissatisfied with myself. I'm never going to be smart enough. I'm never going to be a good enough father. I'm never going to be a good enough husband. 
I'm never going to be a good enough actor myself. I just never will be. And I have to get comfortable with waking up every day and trying to move some little increment closer to the person I've always dreamed of being. And then he goes on to discuss some of his failures in life, one of them being a movie that I don't think anybody saw called After Earth. And in that he says, After Earth comes out, I get the box office numbers on Monday, and I was devastated for about 24 minutes. And then my phone rang, and I found out my father had cancer. That put it into perspective, viciously. And I went right downstairs, and I got on the treadmill. And I was on the treadmill for about 90 minutes. And on that Monday started the new phase of my life, a new concept. Only love is going to fill that hole. You can't win enough. You can't have enough money. You can't succeed enough. There is not enough. The only thing that will ever satiate that existential thirst is love. And I just remember that day I made the shift from wanting to be a a winner to wanting to have the most powerful, deep, and beautiful relationships I could possibly have. He's so close. He understands that he needs love, but he's talking about filling a love in his own power and his own self-belief and his own hope in himself and in the relationships he can find. But I want to look at you honestly in transparency and say, that whoever we are, we will fail one another. If we put our hope in our relationships around this room, we will always be disappointed. Because on our own, we choose self. There's got to be more. We need a foundation. And in Christ Jesus, we have him. He is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our strong foundation. We prayed at prayer meeting a couple weeks ago. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep. He is the reason for the hope that we have. He is the mighty fortress where when waves come, when the foundation shakes, he will not be moved. Will Smith can try all he wants to fill that hole with other things, but he needs to have a conversation with the Apostle Paul. Now, obviously, that's not going to be possible, the side of eternity. But you see, the Apostle Paul dealt with real suffering. I, I don't want to demean the fact that Will Smith didn't make millions of dollars on After Earth, but that is not suffering in the way that people like the Apostle Paul and those that go out to carry the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth have known suffering. When Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, when he counts it all joy to suffer for the name of Jesus, he is chained to a guard. He's not allowed out of the Praetorian area where he is. And he could very well be tortured depending on how the guard felt that day. He's already been whipped and stoned. He's already been bitten by a snake. He's already been shipwrecked. He has suffered. Yet when we look at the words of Paul, he writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, the, the greeters did let me know if you didn't get a, a sheet of message notes for today, they are available in the back. You can just raise your hands and we'll distribute those. Uh, but you can also just follow it on the screen as well. But here's the deal. Will Smith is living, living for the purpose of existential love. It's a great concept, but it is empty without a source of that love. 
Love always needs a source. And we humans will fail time and again to fill it. But yet, what does Paul write? Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And remember, we just read Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi last week, that your love may overflow and abound in knowledge and depth of insight for the glory and praise of God our Father. That love would abound out of who Jesus is and that it would lead to knowledge and depth of insight that leads to action that others may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's exciting how it works when our love is placed in the right person. And it's what we are called to as a people of God. We're called to live with purpose. Paul got that. Paul's purpose was not on his own comfort because I'm pretty sure being stoned is not comfortable. And I'm not talking about the alcoholics stoned. I'm talking about people picking up bricks and rocks and throwing them at you until they thought you were dead. I didn't like getting hit with a snowball as a kid. I can't imagine being stoned. But Paul says, none of that matters. In fact, what has happened to me? Why I'm a prisoner right now? He goes on later to say, I'm thankful for it because it's really served to advance the gospel. Think of it like this. Paul gets chained to a guard. I don't know if there were shifts there, but whoever's chained to him is then stuck with the greatest evangelist arguably to ever live. And I've got this picture in my head, and you've heard me say this before. And Paul looks at him to say, hey, I'm Paul. How you doing? Hi, I'm Gaius. Hi, guys. Have you met Jesus? Let me tell you all about him. I love him. He gives me reason. He gives me hope. He gives me life. And he has changed my life. And I want you to know that same thing. Over and over and over again. You see, Paul's purpose was always the proclamation of Jesus Christ to the world around him. What is our purpose? Are we that intentional? That's why I, I think this is such a wonderful year in a church in Asia because we get the opportunity to tell people about the real significance of the ram, the real significance of the sheep. We get to tell people that life can have meaning that is far beyond retirement funds, that is far beyond comfort and success. And whether your kid gets into the band one school or into Oxford or into whatever else program that we define as true meaning in life. Now, by all means, strive to be excellent at what God has created you to do. But do it all with the purpose of making him known wherever we go. We're an international church. We get the blessing of bringing people in and sending them out. And while they're with us, I pray that the Holy Spirit will so fill us with a passion for making disciples that wherever we go, whether it's mainland China, whether it's my home country of America, whether it's South Africa, Congo, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Thailand, Philippines, and that's just a few of the countries that we represent today from what I've seen here. May we passionately live for the purpose that Jesus lived with. But sometimes we think that's a great idea in theory. Maybe even say existentially, like, yeah, I should think about that. Well, there's a group of people that I was with this past week. Uh, yeah, I was here on Sunday, and then I got on a plane, and I went to Thailand, and I spent the week uh, doing counseling ministry with another group that our church partners with. And while I was there... I got to spend some time with the group that 
come tomorrow morning are flying back to a place called Pyongyang. Some of you may have heard of that. It is not the most friendly place in the world to Christians, is it not? In fact, it's pretty anti-Christian in every sense of the word, and they will happily imprison or kill or torture you uh, for the sake of the gospel. And this team that goes there, they have to be from countries other than America, where I'm from, uh, because obviously Americans aren't in good relationship with that country. But as they go, they go with tremendous purpose as well as tremendous reality because when they get off the plane, when they land, they will be escorted into quarantine for the next 30 days where they're not allowed any contact with the outside world. And you know who smiled the most of any group I saw of the 400 plus missionaries I spent last week with? The DPRK team. Why? Because their life is filled with the purpose of the glory of God that all may know even in the most difficult of circumstances. The thought of being called to that country scares me. The thought of being isolated for 30 days is unfathomable to me. Yet they're considering it pure joy and they were getting ready and they were on a silent retreat for two days to get themselves ready for what was to come. And I was complaining because my flight took too long. You see the difference in perspective? Do our lives have the kind of purpose that said, I would consider it all but loss, but the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and making him known to those that desperately need it. Paul lived with such a purpose that being in jail meant a whole new mission field for him. Now, I sincerely hope none of you get arrested today and go to jail. But if that happened... Would your captors know of your great love for Jesus? And how would they respond if they did? Well, another thing we learn about Paul is that his mission was always before him. There was never a time that we read or that we can study or anything from his reading. Once he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, his life didn't stop being about Jesus. Every chance he got, he seemed to want to make sure that you and I knew who Jesus is. He wasn't concerned about his own personal state of being. He was about the mission that God had given him. And Paul's primary mission, remember this, as you look through the book of Acts, Paul's primary mission was to the people called the Gentiles, those that were not of Jewish descent a good, massive chunk of the world. So while Peter, many considered the first missionary to the Jews... Paul got the whole rest of the world. Even that is kind of a difficult task when you think about it. Peter, little small group, pockets all around. Paul, you just take everybody else. And when Paul was given that mission, you know what he did? He went after it with abandon. He fell in love with the people that he invested in. And then when he saw that they had been established with elders and deacons ready to plant a church and be light in the kingdom, he moved on so that he could tell others about the surpassing greatness of Jesus. He never stopped being about the mission that was before him. And what happened? Well, when he became a prisoner, likely he was in prison in Rome. There's some debate that maybe it was also uh, uh, in Corinth or other places, but likely it was in Rome. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, or you can say the whole praetorian guard, 
and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Think about the reality of that statement. The Roman guard was loyal to who? Caesar. They were not loyal to Jesus. So the sheer thought of testifying and proclaiming the name of Jesus came with great risk to Paul. He was in prison after all, as a Roman citizen that was known. But he demanded and appealed to Caesar himself. And so he's being brought to the point where that will happen. But along the way, Paul doesn't wallow in self-pity. What do we see with Paul and Silas? He sang hymns and prayed all night long. With Paul and Barnabas, they went everywhere. And when they had a disagreement, they didn't battle it out and then tell the world how much they hated each other. They agreed to part ways. They agreed to disagree. And then they went both off and continued to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. What happens when the church today disagrees with each other? We go start new churches and we never reconcile. I think Paul got it right. Paul said, it's not about how much I can't stand your leadership style or the fact that you want to invest in John Mark because he's a moron, which later he was called Paul's son. God has a sense of humor. Paul and Barnabas said, nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. And if we can't get along together, we'll go our separate ways for the glory of God, not for our own agenda's sake. And here... As a result, it had become clear to the whole guard, the whole Praetorian guard that was in charge of all the political prisoners of the day, Paul told him about Jesus. Now, very few of you have the same job that I have. So you don't work all day long with a small group of Christian brothers and sisters. (laughs) I'm spoiled. It's great but I still get to live in a town that needs Jesus and you still get to have non-believers all around you that you can lovingly share the good news of Jesus Christ with. May we be known as a people that the mission of God was always before us, that the proclamation of Jesus was bigger than broken relationships, that his great name was more important than my personal comfort or my success. That's what Paul was about. He said, all the success I've gained, we'll get to this later on in our Philippians series. And he lists that I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. I am a Roman of the right degree. I was trained by Gamaliel, this, that, and the other. And I consider it all loss. Actually, he considers it rubbish, dung, poo, whatever word you want to insert there. It's worthless in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus and making him known. Paul's mission was always before him and he longed for everyone that he came in contact with to have that sort of meaning in life. If he had met Will Smith, he would have said, Will, buddy, Fresh Prince, you're close, but you're not quite there. Your idea of filling it with human love is missing the boat. Let human love filter through the glory of God through his son Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit and you will know purpose and hope and love in life like you have never experienced and it will be forever. Do we say that to each other? Do we sit back and say, the God I worship is the God that promises me the greatest possible life both now and forevermore. And when I'm following him, I will not have regrets because his way is the right way. 
but we don't do it. We get so caught up in politics. We get so caught up in hurt. We get so caught up in things that we can't see the brokenness on the front page of today's newspaper that one man so hurt by the negligence of another says, I will never forgive. Praise God. God didn't say that about me. I've made my share of mistakes. But God gave his son who knew no son to be sin for me so that I might have life but yet we get hurt by people and we say we can't possibly forgive that. What if the photojournalist that lost his family in that ferry ride, what if the people that have been so hurt by the church were introduced to a body of believers that said it's more than that? It's about the hope that we have in Jesus. And I want to tell you and I want to show you and I want to walk with you because the amazing thing is that when our walk talks, people see it. What do I mean by that? Well, a young 18-year-old man years and years ago named Peter Torgerson felt called to follow the Lord to China specifically. And when that call came, he was sitting in church and he emptied out all of his pockets and he also wrote a little note and stuck it in the offering basket and it said three words, and my life. And he put that in the offering plate. And Peter Torgerson shortly thereafter headed off into China. And while he was in China, World War II broke out. He was ministering in a specific valley that now is known the Evergreen or the Christian Valley of China. And while he was there, World War II broke out and bombs began to hit his home where there are many locals nearby. And Peter Torgerson went back in to save everyone else. He got his wife out, but he didn't make it out. His life was given saving Chinese people, saving those he'd spent ministering to and loving. And he did it willingly. He went back in. He could have stayed out. But in so doing... This is what happened. He'd sheltered up to a thousand refugees during the war. And he'd planted churches. He'd done medical work. And he'd spent nearly 20 years there. But in 1939, he was killed, as I said. In 1988, 50 years later, local officials from the Shanxi province informed the Torgerson family that Peter's name was on the country roll of the people's martyrs. A foreigner doesn't get put on that list. That is not something that was done in in that time. And they wanted to erect a monument on the 50th anniversary of his death. Three generations of Torgesons attended the unveiling in 1990 of the monument, upon which the story of Peter's life and work was engraved. On that occasion, listen to this. When your life tells the story, this is how God uses. On that occasion, a request was made to Peter's grandson, Finn, who had facility and knowledge in the Chinese language and extensive international experience, and they asked him to come back. Would you come back to Shanxi in the spirit of Peter Torgerson and continue on his work restoring this broken valley? and helping the region deal with its economic and social needs. (laughs) 
And the Torgerson family accepted that invitation. And the Evergreen Foundation, named after their great-grandfather, continues on today. And thousands and thousands have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifty-year gap. But one man let his walk tell the story that the mission of God was always before him, even up to the point of giving his own life so that others might live. And the gospel continues to be proclaimed. That's the God we serve. There is no greater message than him glorified. Peter Torgerson got that. The apostle Paul got that. Paul's life told the story of the power of the gospel because of his chains, not in spite of, His words were chosen carefully. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. We in church today, what's our number one obstacle to telling others about Jesus Christ? Fear. We're afraid of rejection. I'm with you on that. It can be a daunting task. But it wasn't prison for Paul that was the problem. He used it as a testimony, as a way to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to his captors. And he said, you know what? Others have seen my example and they're now boldly proclaiming his name, courageously and fearlessly. You see, evangelism, proclaiming just who Jesus is and what he's done is contagious in two ways. The first way is that as we do it, we become more comfortable sharing the good news of Jesus with others, and it becomes habit-forming. It's contagious in our own life. Second, as others spend time around us, seeing that our life is telling the story of who Jesus is, they begin to be aware of their own lives. And they think, maybe my life should tell the story of who Jesus is. And it becomes very natural. The trendy word today is to say it's organic, contagious. Whatever we want to call it, it catches The flu is running rampant in Hong Kong. I notice a few masks in here. Please don't cough on me. I've had it twice. That's enough for this year. But what if our testimony was as contagious as a flu bug? What if wherever we went, people saw the good news of Jesus at work in our lives and said, because of him, I rejoice and want to know more. That's what happened to Paul. His life told the glorious story of Christ, the good news of salvation for all who would believe. (laughs) And Paul just kept telling right up until he died. And he said, nothing else matters but honoring God. If I asked us to be quiet for a moment before the Lord right now, I bet you if we were honest with ourselves, we could say a whole lot, myself included, of things matter just as much or if not, even more than proclaiming the good news of the gospel to my neighbor or to an unreached world. But nothing mattered more for Paul. Nothing mattered more than obeying the call God had put on his life to proclaim him to the Gentile people. But Mike, that was a very specific and individual call for Paul. You are correct. (laughs) But Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for everybody. So we better get at it. 
We can't get out with just that was an individual call because we've been all called to make disciples. Wherever we find ourselves, we get that opportunity. But there's another thing that we see because not only did Paul's life testify to the truth of the gospel, but it testified to the power of the gospel. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, sorry. And this is the testimony. See, his life was a testimony. John says this later on. The testimony isn't how great we are. It's who God is. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The life isn't even in ourselves. We're inviting people to live a life that's bigger than themselves, which is ultimately what we're all seeking after in the first place. A life that has purpose, a life that has meaning, a life that has hope and eternal benefit because it feels very hopeless to think that after 70 years we're fertilizer or worse, we get reincarnated as a bug. But this testimony says that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. The life that Jesus said, I came that you might have it to the full, that it might overflow in abundance, that the love that pours out of me will pour out of you, self-sacrificing love that people like Paul demonstrated, that Peter Torgerson demonstrated. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. What does that last bit mean? Because it's crucial to our understanding of the world around us. It means whether we like to think about the painful reality or not, the world we find ourselves in is dark and there are billions of people awaiting a Christless eternity in hell if we don't tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's reality. That's not me trying to put a downer on your Chinese New Year. That's me speaking exactly what God's word says. He who does not have the Son doesn't have life. And our job is to make disciples, to introduce people to the love of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. And it is urgent. Paul could have waited and said, I will wait. I'll take this time, this this imprisonment that God has allowed me to have and I'm just going to focus and I'm just going to be quiet. And there are times when God tells us to do that. But Paul didn't do that. You see, while he was in prison, whatever that prison was like, house arrest is what some call it, but he was still chained to a guard so he couldn't go far. And while he was outside, people began to get offended because Paul's missionary efforts were more effective than theirs. That never happens in church today, right? We never get competitive. We never get frustrated that others do it a different way that we're not comfortable with or that people ask for change and things like that. But look at how Paul did describes dealing with it. He said, what does it matter? Some preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and rivalry, out of envy. He said, I don't care if they're proclaiming that Christ is the only way to God, the Father who is in heaven. I don't care what they think about me. (laughs) Do we? Yes, we often do. We get so, so caught up in fairness and following the law of what we think is right, that we forget the law of love that we read about at the beginning of this service, that love is patient, that love is kind, that God keeps no record of wrongs, that God's love never fails, that he has provided the ministry of reconciliation that brings people in, not alienates people out. Amen? That is so true. Paul said, I don't care if their only reason they're telling people about Jesus is to get back at me because praise God, he is being proclaimed. And so bring it. 
whether false motives are true, all I care about, Christ is preached. And because of this, even if I disagree with them, I rejoice that he is being preached. Can we do that? Can we praise God for how he is at work in every life around us? Can we praise God in the situations we find ourselves in to the point where it compels us to live a bigger life? I wanted to sit up here and just give you report after report after report of the people I met with, but you don't have that time uh, or attention span most likely. But I did uh, have a couple of meals with a man named Mike. Mike was a part of the organization that we partner with uh, ever since I was part of that organization 20 years ago almost. Mike led one of the bigger programs in China for teachers, and he is a brilliant man. And he is a servant of the highest regard that loves proclaiming the good news of Jesus in whatever way he's able to. But in 2012, things began to go wrong in Mike's body. And it was discovered after a whole lot of tests that indeed it wasn't diabetes that he had, it was multiple sclerosis. And I discovered that there are two ways that multiple sclerosis can attack the body. One is through motor function, through your muscles, and the other is through nerve endings. And I know that's medically probably off a bit, but get the general idea. And so for Mike, how it has affected, it's been affecting his vision, and that's why they thought diabetes, and it's been affecting his hearing. So where you and I, if someone like Amos, who's right in front of me, speaks, I can differentiate his voice and the clutter of all that's going on. How multiple sclerosis has attacked Mike's body has been that every little noise around him becomes like a scream and a roar that is painful every moment of every day. Now go ahead and think for the second, the last time you had meal in a dim sum restaurant. What's it like? Loud. It's noisy, correct? There is noise everywhere. Now go ahead and equate that with the millions of people in the city where Mike served. He has to wear earplugs all the time just so that he can walk through life. And as I sat down and as I listened and as I prayed with Mike, you know what he said? He said, I am so thankful this happened to me. And I looked at him and I honestly said this. I said, what? He said, I know you don't think you heard me correctly. But he said... I understood who Jesus was. But now I get what a privilege it is to face anything he's got for me, knowing that it's just a short breath compared to eternity with him. And if somehow this MS is pointing others to see the glory of God, he said, I am so thankful. He said, I don't understand why God's pulling me off the mission field. He's having to step away from missions. China is not the place for you to be noise sensitive. It's just too many people. And so he's stepping off and going to one of the great unknowns of America or great open spaces, a place called Wisconsin. Very few people. But he said, I know God's got a plan for me. And then he began to spell out how he was excited to continue serving God. Not only that, but this is a man whose gift of worship leading, he was a worship pastor before he became a missionary. And he said, I don't know that I'll ever do that again but I look forward to trying to help others in any way I can. You see, God changed Mike's perspective on life. And so Mike reshifted, praised the Lord, 
and stayed urgent with the message. God just changed the location. But Mike, in all earnestly, honesty and earnesty, said, earnestness, not earnesty. He said, it's a joy to know that I can suffer for a little while. He said, this will pass. But I want to make sure I can tell people about Jesus. That is the power of the gospel as Jesus transforms hearts. What does it matter? The important thing is whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So what do we do with this? Well, I think we need to think about the world around us and ask ourselves how we are doing with these questions because I want to give you a brief snapshot of the world we find ourselves in. Okay, you ready? In all of the world, there are 9,805 people groups. A people group is not bound by country, uh, country boundaries, but there are 9,805 distinct people groups all over the world. You with me so far? That equates to an estimated population of 7 billion people here on this earth. 7 billion people, okay? Now let's go a step further. Unreached people, people that have no capacity or have never had the capacity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their life. Sometimes we feel pretty good about the work we're doing in missions. There are 4,000, nearly half, 4,075 unreached people groups equating for at least, others have this statistic much higher, at least 3 billion people, not that haven't accepted Jesus, but haven't had the opportunity to even hear his name. 3 billion people. I am not saying millions here. 3 billion people, over 40%, well, some, a lot that have never had the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ? How will they know unless they are told is what Paul asks us in Romans. But let's put it in perspective because you're like, well, Mike, we're just in Hong Kong. And if you look, even Hong Kong's hard to find on a map because China's so big. You're correct. But let's think about it a little smaller. You've heard about this thing in missions that we call the 1040 window, latitude and longitude that makes a parallel, a rectangle of the world where 5,915 people groups live that are, that are still yet to be told. Now, some of these have heard the good news but haven't yet responded. And of that number above, the number in the middle is actually higher because I typed it in wrong and I apologize. But 2.91 billion people in our metaphorical neighborhood need Jesus Christ. But then let me back, or let me go in closer. And while I got two numbers mixed up, and I apologize for that, think about this. We live in Hong Kong, one of the most globalized cities in the world. And you know what we get access to? People groups from all over the world. You know who we have access to? People, both near and far. And so my question is, wherever God places us, are we living with purpose? Are we saying to God, just like Peter Torgerson did, here's all I have and here's my life. Use it for your glory. Are we focused on the right mission? Now, if you have a job and God has called you to that job, do it to the best of your ability. But make sure people know whom you follow 
while you serve him in that vocation. It's called vocational excellence. Third, are we sharing the good news? Are we being obedient to the simple task of global discipleship? Are we taking the good news of Jesus to wherever he would call us? And finally, does it break our heart with urgency that almost half of the world's population does not yet know who Jesus is? Does that rip a heart, a hole in our heart so big that we can't help but say, God, I'll go wherever you have me because I can't bear the thought of knowing people are dying apart from Jesus Christ? Or will we listen to the testimony of Paul that he gave us today and then go on our ways comfortably and hoping somebody else tells our friends about Jesus? My prayer is that we would be a people that are on an urgent mission carrying and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone we can. Because you know what happens when we do that, when we adopt that vision? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. Christ will return and we will enter up and enjoy eternity with him. And I can't wait for that. And I want to bring everybody with me. Don't you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would carry your good news of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go. That those nearly three billion people that have yet to hear of the good news of Jesus, that we would be part of telling them about you. I pray that we would offer our lives to be used by you in whatever way you see fit. Thank you for the stories of those that are going back into the DPRK. Thank you for those headed back into the mainland, for those headed to Cambodia, to Laos, to Myanmar, to Congo. We thank you for our own Lavina as she prepares to head back in next, uh, next month. We think of others. But Lord, help us not just to think of them. Today, may we ask the question, what would you have us do, Lord? Maybe it's radical. Maybe it's a blank check with our life. But may our hearts be open to what you would have so that your gospel may be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Amen.